kicking it with Kendrick. Mm. We love that acting. You're kicking it with Kendrick, but not that Kendrick. Nah, nah. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Yeah, Twilight gets it. Woo. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Pitch perfect singing. Oh, yeah, she's on the go. How many actors got that glow? Singing and acting, I don't know. Not even Leo's got that flow. Musicals and movies more. All the talents out the door. We're seeing what she's got in store. Yeah, and it's time to stop the show. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Kicking It With Kendrick. I am one of your hosts, Pierre, and I am, as always, joined by the lovely Jeff. Jeff, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Well, we are also joined by, if you will, a guest host. He is a musical teacher slash massive fan of musicals. Please let me introduce Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi. Great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, a pleasure. Me and Jeff are... I mean, I, I can speak for myself when I say I know very little about musicals, so it's nice to have someone uh, with a little more experience here to make up for my lack of experience. And I guess for a little bit of context, the reason that we have a musical theater teacher here now, beyond just the fact that we wanted to get him on the show, we are also now in our trio of episodes about Anna Kendrick in musicals. So today we are going to talk about I'm going to say the highest profile one, though not necessarily the most important. I don't know yet. We haven't seen them all yet. Yeah, I I feel like Anna Kendrick is a very interesting performer because I don't know if you guys know that she actually got her start on Broadway. Like she she actually did a musical and was nominated for a Tony Award uh, for Featured Actress when she was 12. So mm-hmm. so singing and performing in musicals have has been ingrained in her like DNA since she was very very young. So yeah. It's curious to me because she has a great voice. As you said, she got her start in musicals and yet I would argue that she's not really known for her singing or yeah. for being in musicals, which is a little I mean she could be. If you think of a Hollywood actress who sings, like certainly her name won't come up like right away but Mm -hmm. yeah she she has been involved in many many projects that require singing Uh, you know thinking about it now maybe even like people like Meryl Streep would be a little bit more like people would think about more in terms of like uh, performers or actors who sing yeah not necessarily Anna Kendrick but yeah in in most of the musicals that she's in she does a pretty good job vocally in all the singing part in the project she is involved in are you a fan of musicals, Pierre? Like, do you enjoy watching musicals or musical films? I'm be honest with you, I I kind of struggle. I've only seen like maybe three like musicals. This this was like a or Into the Woods was like a pure musical, right? Like, yeah, mostly singing throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I've seen maybe like two of those. Like, there's this and The Greatest Showman, right? Yeah. So I much prefer like I love Disney musicals and stuff. Like having a song once in a while. Yeah. I find it tough for me to pay attention with like a very consecutive song order, if that makes sense. So it, it's oh, yeah. interesting to, I guess, try to understand like how to make a good musical, if that makes sense, because it's very different. That's very understandable. Do you, obviously, I, I think you have seen La La Land already. I, I think for me, whenever I talk to people in Thailand, <laughs> this is like a, 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 a question I ask them, like uh, to see whether they're, Oh, where the position of their liking of musical films are. Do you like La La Land? It's pretty good. I don't love the music, actually. It's not very catchy. Mm-hmm. But what, do, you, do you really like La La Land, I'm guessing? I'm not like necessarily like love, love, love La La Land, but I like it enough that it's like uh, one of the good representations of new contemporary musical films. Like, even I'm like a very, very like hard musical theater fan. There are like people in the musical theater world that hated La La Land. Like, thought that it was like very detrimental like really didn't think that it was a musical like yeah but I, I'm not those people like I, I feel like it's good enough and and if it won best picture that year I I, I wouldn't mind yeah it, mm-hmm. it is uh, unfortunate it was so close to winning <laughs> but didn't it won for like two minutes yeah I, I still remember that moment when 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 the envelope was switched like it, it was a surreal moment I would say that not to just Uh, hijack the conversation but uh, for myself I have sort of a love-hate relationship with musicals Uh like I've always been very big into 
songs that tell a story but for me that's usually been through the medium of like concept albums ah. like way back when when i was uh when i was a teenager like i really liked american idiot and uh, the black parade rock albums that have like a story that goes through the whole thing but the way that those are constructed are in a way it's a sung through musical in the fact that it's a story and there's no talking in between but like when you listen to something like American Idiot, it's every song is supposed to work as a song first and the story is secondary. Like the story is a through line, but it's the song that's really there. Uh-huh. So that's kind of where I come from on musicals. And I've seen plenty of musicals, but what I typically, I guess where I say I have a contentious relationship with musicals is I like the idea of sung through musicals. Uh But it really, um, it doesn't usually hit for me when the musical is like, when it feels to me like each song is written with the story first and then the music second. And like saying that, I, I don't mean to insult musicals that way, because what I'm actually saying is like, from what I know of Sondheim, I hate to start off the episode by saying this. I don't think I like the way Sondheim writes music. Not that his music is bad, but what I don't like is in Into the Woods, it, I'm talking only about the music. Well, no, I'm, I, I saw this as a uh, stage musical a long time ago, but they have a lot of those segments where they're basically speak singing. They're not actually like singing a song. They're talking very melodically and it doesn't usually work for me. And like, I have seen those kind of musicals and liked them. But that is a style that just doesn't usually work for me. And the only person I can think of who writes musicals, not in that, who writes a lot of high profile, like Broadway style musicals that aren't in that style is Andrew Lloyd Webber, who I hate for other reasons. So (laughs) I have had a bit of a contentious relationship with musicals and I'm excited for you to prove me wrong. This is like a great segue to the the section about Sondheim and Into the Woods because mm-hmm. I have this book with me and it's a great book for anyone who who wants to understand musicals, especially Sondheim musicals, but musicals in general. It's called it's a a, a book that 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 talks about uh, Sondheim actually wrote it is a collection of lyrics from every single show that he did, but he also gives us like notes on how he writes certain songs and the notion of it. And also there are two volumes of it. The first volume of it, he actually has three rules when he thinks about writing a musical. And the first rule, like the first ever rule that he always points out is that content dictates form. So, mm-hmm. well, it, it has developed to be his style, but whatever he writes, he doesn't like go on and say, I'm going to write it in this style, or that style. He always based it on, the context of it mm-hmm. and in specifically in into the woods i feel like as i've known the material for a bit he he writes the show as a show so mm-hmm. it's not like he he doesn't go on and okay i'm writing three standalone songs so he wants to make the whole show score wise as coherent as possible so that's why it feels like a one big song instead of like separate songs mm-hmm. which is like a litmus test for people who like who sees musicals there are people who see musicals and goes in there for like catchy tuneful songs but Sondheim may not be in that style because it goes back to his rule it's content dictates form and he sees his score in one single entity like the whole show is like one coherent piece of music if that explains the concept a little bit no it does but that sounds to me almost like modern opera I mean Modern opera also exists, but this is basically, it it sounds to me like he approaches musicals very much like opera. Well, well, he approaches the musical as a piece of storytelling, not a piece of entertainment, which which makes him like one of the most influential composers and musical theater creators in this lifetime. I think He, he is known to be the father of contemporary American musicals. 
Yeah, and and he learned all of this from Oscar Hammerstein the second. Like Oscar Hammerstein the second is his godfather. Like they lived very close together when Sondheim was a kid, and like some backstory about it. Like Sondheim knew someone in the family, and then he got close to Oscar Hammerstein, and he actually did say that he would do whatever occupation Oscar Hammerstein. Like if Oscar Hammerstein is a plumber, he would have been like one of the world's. Most renowned plumber in in the world, like, and just just to give a background for everyone, Oscar Hammerstein is also another musical theater lyricist, and but but he's like even more influential than than Sondheim, like he's like the Sound of Music. Yeah, he he's one part of the Rogers and Hammerstein musical theater writing couple. He did he did virtually everything important. Like they started off with Oklahoma all the way to Carousel, and then the Sound of Music and everything. So Sondheim learned a great deal about songwriting from Oscar Hammerstein and the way that I say that he's the father of, of contemporary musicals is that he sees musicals as a piece of storytelling not not a piece of entertainment as what I said like every single song is a scene has a beginning middle and end and every single song in the in, in a musical has to do something it's not just there to express a feeling or just to like give the audience an exhilarating feeling but it has to do it has to be a piece of a bigger puzzle. It has to solve something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it works as a scene, it, especially in Into the Woods. Like, all of the songs can be performed as a scene. Like, if you take the music out and yeah. if you read just the lyrics, it's coherent and it's, like, conversational enough to be a scene. Mm-hmm. Actually, in, in some exercises I did when I was in college, they actually take out the music and let you perform this as a scene so that you understand the beats and the intricacies of the characters, which is very, very fascinating. Okay, I have a few very short follow-up questions. Yep. First one is, uh, can you hold up that book again? I just wanted to check what the name is so that I can recommend it to yep. everybody. That is Stephen Sondheim, Look I made a Yeah, this is the second volume of it. So it covers the second life of Sondheim. So Sondheim has like, if you divide it like equally, he has two kinds of lives. So this book is um, the second volume and it covers Into the Woods here. Wait, that's really interesting. Why would you say that Stephen Sondheim has... So you said that's the second volume. But yep. not only did you say it's the second volume, as in he wrote two volumes about this, you said it covers Stephen Sondheim's second life, I noticed you said. Yes. Why did you use that term? Okay, let me back it up just a little bit. So Stephen Sondheim started as just a lyricist. Yeah, he 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 wanted to write both music and lyrics, but he started off as a lyricist. And his first project is actually West Side Story. I think he's the last living creator, uh, creator in terms of like the uh, like the heavy names who wrote the book, the music, the directing. Like he's the last mm-hmm. living person who actually worked on the original. West Side Story, and that was his very first gig. He wrote West Side Story, yeah, and he wrote the lyrics for it, working alongside legends like Jerome Robbins and Leonard Mm -hmm. Bernstein, yeah. But then he developed himself as a composer too, and his first big collaborator that shaped his career was this renowned director, Hal Prince, uh, Harold Prince, who did all of these influential musicals like a lot of people would know his work from the phantom of the opera and evita but his influential work was with stephen sondheim and Mm -hmm. stephen sondheim and harold prince has been hailed as like the one of the most influential and all of their works have reverberated into the musical theater hemisphere like if you look at his works they started working together in company I don't know if you know that show. Film lovers would know this show a little bit in Marriage Story because a lot of songs in company is featured very heavily in Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they they just made like good, 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 good works all every single year. They made Company, they made Follies, A Little Night Music, Pacific Overtures, but then they struck gold big with Sweeney Todd. And a lot of people would might consider that Sweeney Todd might be Sondheim's greatest work like his masterpiece really yeah a lot of people would say that like the stage version of it it, Mm -hmm. uh, if you ask any composer working in musical theater right now they would either say that I would say like every single person who worked in musical theater right now would say that Sondheim is their like idol is their like spiritual father in writing music and a lot of people say that like a lot of these composers that are that have worked in the industry for so long they would say that when they were young whenever they have time they would go see Sweeney Todd like whenever like it's they're like ingrained in their DNA 
So that that was Sondheim's like first live. When I say first live, is that their shows with like Sondheim shows with how Prince has always been like critically acclaimed, but not necessarily a commercial hit. Mm-hmm. Some of them made money. Some of them did not make money. Like Follies is one of the shows that was very popular, but did not make their money back at all. But their breaking point happened on the show called Merrily We Row Along. I'm not sure if you have heard about this show before. Pierre, maybe you've heard of this. Uh, did, Pierre, did you, did you ever see Boyhood? Uh, is that the movie made in 12 years? Yeah, so Richard yeah. Linklater is currently, the guy who did Boyhood, he's currently filming Merrily We Roll Along, but he's doing it over 20 years. Yeah, That's with, with Ben Platt. Ben Platt and who are the others? Beanie Feldstein and one other person whose name I'm forgetting. I, I don't know his name too, but he's not like as famous as those two. I heard yeah. that they had to go back and reshoot the first scene again. So the clock has to be recounted. Reshoots on a movie that takes 20 years to film are disastrous. <laughs> that just can't happen. Imagine if they make it all the way to the end. And when they're doing their final edit, they realize we messed up 20 years ago. We got to do reshoots. We can't do it. <laughs> but this is very interesting because you said that because of the remarks that you made on the music of Into the Woods. You know, when I say that they are critically acclaimed, both Sondheim and Hal Prince, at the same time, there are people that do not like the way Sondheim makes musicals too. Because up until this point, musicals are a piece of entertainment and a piece of mm-hmm. escapism. But Sondheim doesn't see it like that. He can, he sees that musicals can tell great and complex stories and can explore the dark corners of the human brain and human hearts. So he always puts those things on stage. And imagine people who have money and who wants to go out there and have a great time and see their life unfolding right at their very eyes on stage. So some of the critics would say that Sondheim shows are too highbrow and they're like, how dare you make this whole art form into something that it is. So when Merrily We Roll Along came on, they were kind of like wanting to do something very different. So they are telling the story of these three aspiring people who wants to make musicals but the stories are told backwards so they are they are told like the first scene is when these three friends are falling apart already like they're not friends anymore and they are like they have been into like a different person and then it chronicles backwards into the first day they met so every single scene it's a step backwards in time Mm -hmm. yeah and it did not do well like, even Sondheim and Prince said that at that time, they didn't nail down the concept of the show. Like, nobody understood what the hell was going on in the show. And nobody... And they hired, like, young people, like, teenagers to play, like, mid-30s. So it, it wasn't working. And and that show ended Sondheim's first life. And it ended the collaboration with Hal Prince. Sondheim was devastated. He actually thought of quitting musicals and wanted to go write mystery novels. That would have been a very strange career sidestep, but like it would have been interesting to see what you know. What is the universe where Stephen Sondheim writes mystery novels? Are we waiting <laughs> for a for a new like movie adaptation of whoever his famous detective is in twenty twenty one? Yeah, so that was his life, and then he was devastated up until the point where he met this new co- collaborator named James Lapine. Mm-hmm who sort of like guides him and makes him see musicals in a slightly different way. And then they collaborated with a work called Sunday in the Park with George, which is my personal favorite of Sondheim shows. And that collaboration was fruitful enough. And then they did a second show, which leads to Into the Woods. So what I'm interested about right at the end of his first life is I don't know very much about Merrily We Roll Along. But what I do know is that that, musical is supposedly weird as hell and you've already like alluded to it that it's a story told backwards over i'm gonna guess roughly 20 years i don't know that you said the yeah 20 years so it's a story told backwards over 20 years it used teenagers to play people all uh, to play adults it was experimental in a lot of ways would you say that after that, Stephen Sondheim dialed it way back and stopped being experimental? Or did he experiment <laughs> in different ways? Well, actually, I don't think dialing down the experimental part is in Sondheim's DNA because he's like always creating and always finding new ways to tell a story. 
but the way he tells it is a little bit different. Like if if you count from um, Sweeney Todd backwards, he looks at humanity in a people would say in a bleak way. So he always finds this satire and this like darkness in people. But moving on to his second life with Sunday in the Park with George and Into the Woods, he still mm-hmm. explores these darkness in the human mind. But we see a lot more glimpses of hope mm-hmm. and light in his shows now. Yeah, people would say that his first live shows always ended in a satirical and dark ways, but in his new shows, he ends it in a bit more positive. Some people would say it's a bit more preachy as well. Like the the, the ending song of um, Into the Woods, like children would listen. People would say that it's a bit preachy and it's a little bit like hopeful for Sondheim's taste, but that's like different people's opinions, I guess. I guess we'll probably get into children will listen. Uh, we'll get into that a little more later down the line. Cause I think that's a kind of, I think the way that into the woods ends is pretty interesting, at least yep. going off of just the movie specifically, but I'm sure it's at least as interesting in the musical. Now that we've already started talking about into the woods, you want to sort of fill us in about what this is as a musical. Yes, I am actually going to read what Sondheim actually wrote about Into the Woods. It's just a short paragraph. This is mm-hmm. his way of telling the story. So, in a folktale time and setting, a childless baker and his wife are told by a witch that they wouldn't be able to conceive if they can find and bring her four objects, a cow as white as milk, a cape as red as blood, hair as yellow as corn, and a slipper as pure as gold. In the course of their quest, the baker and his wife encounter Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, and Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk and become part of their stories. At the end of the first act, they achieve their goal, and the second act deals with the consequences of what they did to get there. So that's the notion of Into the Woods, from Sondheim's words. Hmm. I mean, that is definitely accurate. That's, that's what he wrote. <laughs> yeah. What would you say are your thoughts on Into the Woods? Like, how does, how does that story come across and what does it explore? And I guess my real question that I want to get into is how is this, again, Stephen Sondheim being experimental? Or like, what is he trying to do with this musical? Maybe that's a lot of questions. Oh, no, no, no. no. Yeah. Let, let, me di- let me digest that a little bit. I would say that what is so interesting about the idea of Into the Woods is that you you you've seen a lot of like interpretations and adaptations of these like stories. Uh, these are from grim fairy tales, but the idea of condensing and putting these characters into one story and let them meeting together was very interesting. Like you see, you have Little Red Riding Hood, you have Cinderella, you have Rapunzel in the same story working together to achieve. A theme which is very interesting and i think this idea comes from his collaborator like sondheim wants to do something closer to the wizard of oz where it's like fairy tales and stuff but Mm -hmm. this idea comes from james lapine where he said that we can actually combine these stories and he actually thought of two devices that will tie all of these things together first is in the title is the woods Mm -hmm. like the woods where all of these characters go into to achieve their goals. And the woods can represent so many things. And it goes really well to what Sondheim likes to explore, which is um, uh, the darkness of the human mind. But also he did conceive uh, a couple, which is the baker and the baker's wife, that will tie all the characters together. And also is the heart of Into the Woods. I, I would say that is the experimental part. And then you combine it with all of the insights that Sondheim has with the songs and the character's point of view, which I think because we are talking about Anna Kendrick, we will actually definitely need to talk about her solo piece in the show, which is called On the Steps of the Palace, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating piece. Actually, now that you mention it, with tying these together, now that idea is not necessarily as novel anymore because we still we have you know we have the marvel cinematic universe we have a bunch of different universes stories whatever that that are like what if i don't know the little mermaid was also at the same time as gladiator and they met in the middle or something we have all of these movies and different pieces of entertainment that do exactly that but back when this came out, which I'm going to say was 87. Yes. I don't think it had never been done before, but it was much rarer 
This wasn't yes. the thing that was done as often, for sure. I would say this too, that with this idea and with how it was made, this has proven to be one of Sondheim's most popular shows among all the shows he's written. Uh, because because the one of the big things in the States and in the world is that they release these shows to amateur rights. And so people can uh, license it and produce it and in schools and in theater companies. And Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine, Into the Woods, has been produced so many times, not just on Broadway or on major markets, but in schools. I've worked on countless of shows and like my boyfriend is in Into the Woods in Thailand, you know? So mm. this proves to be both like very profitable for Sondheim, but also most popular, like well-known shows among like the general audience. Yeah. And I think like one thing that I don't know if this is what makes it popular, but I can definitely see that is um, this is very approachable. It is. Especially because everyone is at least passingly familiar with the Grimm's fairy tales. So, you know, if you don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of Cinderella, you still know the name. So all of these characters are familiar to just about any audience that is going to have access to a Sondheim musical anyway. And so, you know, it, it makes them very appealing to put on and to put butts in seats. But to point out, this is very interesting. Like, at this time, it seems like it's the most approachable Sondheim show or, or a musical theater show. But at that time, it went on the same season and it went head to head with one of the most popular musicals ever, which is The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Hal Prince. Really? Yes. Uh, huh. So 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 it opened in the same season. It competed in the same year at the Tony Awards with The Phantom of the Opera. And that show is, I don't even need to explain the Phantom of the Opera, but I would say that come the Tony Awards, Into the Woods won Best Book, Best Score, and Best Actress, while the Phantom of the Opera won Best Director and Best Musical. So at that time, the sentiment was, if you want to go see something as a spectacle, if you want to enjoy your night, you go to the Phantom of the Opera. But if you want to be thought-provoked, if you want to see something very thought-provoking or and inventive, you go to Into the Woods. I don't know how long Into the Woods ran on Broadway, but Phantom of the Opera ran for like 20 years, something like that? It is still running in oh, both major it, markets. And uh, Into wow. the Woods closed in 89. So it only played like 765 performances. and But Phantom is still playing now. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think I've basically already said this. I'm not a huge fan of Phantom of the Opera, but oh, okay. to sort of to sort of reach back into our uh, earlier conversation, the songs in Phantom of the Opera are extremely catchy. Yes, yes. You, you see the divide now, right? You see the divide. Yeah. So if you want to go to like catchy, tuneful songs that makes your your soul soar, you'll go to an Andrew Lloyd Webber show. But if you want to be thought provoked, if you want to see something different, if you want to, if you want to walk out of the theater differently as a person, you go to a Sondheim show. It's not easy to watch, but you get something very, very, very new. I want to know. I, I've been talking nonstop. I I want to ask Pierre. Uh, you you've seen Into the Woods. What do you think of it? It's um, it's an alright movie. I didn't love it. I think there's a lot to be said about. Uh, I mean, we talked before, like uh, me and Jeff about how I think play adaptations can sometimes be done differently. Like I notice a lot of into the woods is very obviously shot on a set. Like they didn't shoot like in, in the actual woods, whether or not like that's a good creative choice. I'm not really sure. Um, it did make it feel like a lot more cutesy and fun, but um, overall, I guess it's just, it, it wasn't really my cup of tea. If I'm going to be honest, I couldn't really get into it. This is coming from an amateur musical lover, so maybe I just need oh, to no. get into the genre more, but yeah. Oh, no, that's completely understandable. Even I, I have opinions on the movie adaptation um, um, when I see it. I was just telling uh, Jeff before you came in that I actually rewatched it last night and I fell asleep. Like halfway through the movie. <laughs> Like halfway through the movie, I fell asleep. I did woke up and watch some. I didn't watch the whole thing. I just scrolled down to Anna Kendrick scenes so that I can talk about it today to see her performances. Yeah, but I, but yeah, it doesn't age well over time for me as well. 
So I think with with that glowing endorsement, I'm going to cut off cut us off here for just a minute because we have to take a quick break. But we will come back and then we'll talk about the movie version of Into the Woods. Hey there, if you're listening to this podcast ad, first off, you've got great taste in the podcast. Kudos to you. But secondly, you probably like movies, watching them, thinking about them, analyzing them, and reviewing them. And while the tales we see on the big screen do merit discussion, I think that's only half the story. Why do we see so many sequels instead of original films? What determines which films get sequels in the first place? Is there more to the directors making a big hullabaloo about seeing their films in theaters than on streaming? And beyond the obvious social good, why is making more diverse films important? The answer to all these questions and more can be found on my podcast, The Box Office Watch, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. For better or worse, Hollywood is the business, and which films are profitable and which aren't uh, determines what kind of films get greenlit and which ones don't. Each week, I go over the box office charts to understand which films are on that path to profitability and which ones aren't, as well as to understand any major headlines in the movie industry that might affect those bottom lines. I help you understand industry terms like exhibitor splits, multipliers, and per theater averages. And honestly, the story of how a film grew wings and flew at the box office or fumbled around and flopped can sometimes be more engrossing than the actual story on screen, in my opinion. Box Office Watch can be found on all major podcast stores, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, and I hope to catch you there. And remember, our watch goes on. Once upon a time, in a far-off kingdom, there lay a small village at the edge of the woods. I wish. And in this village, more than anything, lived a young maiden, more than life, more than jewels. Hello, everyone. We're back from our break of, uh, I guess we just finished our segment on musicals, and now we're going to delve deeper more into our thoughts specifically on Into the Woods, specifically, specifically with Anna Kendrick, obviously, and this is kicking it with Kendrick. What did everyone think of Into the Woods? I think we already did our summary of it, right, technically? The movie more or less covers the same thing. Like, there are differences that we'll talk about, but, like, the plot is the same. Yeah, there you go. What are your thoughts, Ben? You want to go first? What, what do you think of this movie as a vivid uh, musical fan? So I have two experiences with it. So the first time I saw Into the Woods was with a big group of fans, theater group of fans, and a lot of them are in Into the Woods. So we are actually excited to see the story played out on a big screen. I was young. I was like four years or five years ago. I, I can't really re- remember. I, I thought it was decent enough. And specifically, I actually like Anna Kendrick's performance as Cinderella because she performs it differently than other Cinderellas who have done mm-hmm. Into the Woods. But I was rewatching it again the second time, having to know a, a little bit more about musicals as I have not only performed them, but write them. Yeah, and I, I found that the story, the way they presented in the movie, is a little bit jumbled and a bit too incoherent like you see scenes of it but it's not like a thorough story or something like that which i didn't feel it in the stage version i thought that it was one of the most coherent pieces but the movie did make me feel like it's a collection of scenes that doesn't connect to each other so the second time i saw it i was pretty underwhelmed by it i to be honest i actually fell asleep halfway through the movie and i had to wake up and watch it again to finish it. Can I just say, you mentioned earlier that in the year it came out, the like stage version, the Phantom of the Opera is the one you go see for the spectacle and yep. Into the Woods is the one that you go see to think. Yep. But interesting, well, maybe not interestingly, I think this film focuses way too much on spectacle. The woods are huge and they're, despite being like really dark and just trees they're actually gorgeous to look at and everyone is in like very elaborate costumes or not necessarily elaborate but very flashy people walk great distances uh Uh, there's just like a lot of i mean this movie could be more about spectacle but i feel like this movie has a lot of style 
which actually comes a bit at the expense of the story, I would say. I totally, totally agree with you on that, Jeff. Like, and this comes back to the early converse, the conversation we have about Marvel. And to bring it back to the context is Disney. So I feel like they Disneyfy into the woods. And Sondheim actually knows that going in. Like, you know, he actually said that you're making a movie with Disney. Like, you're giving your show to Disney. So he kind of expects that there will be changes to not only the storyline, but also the way they tell the story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, um, I, I guess it's kind of interesting with my limited knowledge, like seeing how, because I also, I've never seen a musical in real life, how a movie is able to try to transfer mediums, I guess. Yeah. Do you find that Into the Woods does it successfully, like having seen the play? Yeah, I would say that it did translate to a certain level, but just like, entry level bottom line surface level kind of way like you know the the themes are there but just there you know they they talk about the themes but it's just like a detrimental version of it like it doesn't explore the intricacies of them there are still some songs that talks about that but the way they are shot it was shot in like a spectacle kind of way not they want you to listen to the lyrics and think about the lyrics in in a thought-provoking way so yeah it, if that answers the question there, I, I feel like it translates to a certain level, but just like surface level. I just found the music was very, uh, I usually like movie um, music, like musical music. I just found like in this, I mean, it might be because I'm not used to like having a song, well, that many songs over the course of the movie for many of the scenes. It just felt like a lot of the, the lyrics were very surface level. I don't know if that's normal or not, but like I never like, because I love other musicals like, like the Disney musicals, I think a lot of them are really good at making the song do many different things at once. Like they, they're able to progress plot or like character arcs over really short periods of time due to utilizing the song in an efficient way, right? Whereas this felt more like the songs were just kind of obviously telling us what happens in the story, but it never really felt like it got a lot deeper, at least in my opinion. I think this is not... This is not the case in the stage musical because I thought that the way they explore Cinderella, you already know that Cinderella would leave her shoe on the steps of the palace. But mm-hmm. the way that the lyrics tells us why and the thought process was of it is very intriguing, at least for me when I saw the stage musical. But I agree that in the movie, it feels very surface level. And I think it's because the jumbled way of it. And I don't know if I think one of the things they take out from the movie it's the narrator part. Uh, if you can remember in the movie, you hear the baker narrating the story, right? But actually in the stage version, there is actually another narrator writing the story as we go on. And these characters feel like they're trapped. So in the second act, they actually killed off the narrator and they have to find their own way, which is very cool and very intriguing. But when they take that very important piece of the puzzle out, the movie feels jumbled. And I think that might be what makes you feel like it's very surface level because it's just scenes and song after song and after song, but nothing connecting them together to make one through line. Yeah, if that explains. It's interesting that you say that about the narrator because um, that sounds like an extremely important part of the musical. The The message really comes across differently then in this musical because at the very end, I, I guess spoilers for Into the Woods, the movie, this movie ends with James Corden as the baker basically reading the musical to his son. So like, that's why he's the narrator, which, you know, I guess that's fine. But that was actually pretty shocking to hear you say they kill off the narrator in the second act and then the characters are lost. That really recontextualizes the entire second act. And the second act is, to me, the most jumbled part of the movie. So I don't know how that would have been able to be translated into a movie. I don't know. That might have been kind of too weird for a movie. That's definitely a stage device. But the second act is worse off for it. I think that in this movie, to keep kind of harping on the spectacle part, the musical gets very dark at times. Like the... uh, all of the scenes with, in the movie, Johnny Depp, but in the stage, just the the wolf, are like really overly sexual. And it's all about this child. So it's like really uncomfortable to watch, even in the movie. And I can imagine that it would only be more uncomfortable on stage with the potential caveat that even though Red Riding Hood is played by a young actor, 
in a lot of stage versions, especially school versions, she's going to be roughly the same age as everyone else. But there's that. And also like, there's a scene where uh, in, in the movie, Rapunzel just stops existing at one point. But basically that's because I believe in the stage play, she dies. And so a lot of like, really shocking things happen over the course of this musical. But it ha- but in the movie, it feels like those things happen because they are shocking. In the musical, I feel like th- those would happen because the story is leading up to them. And yes, they are shocking, but the intention isn't really to shock the audience. You, you actually said that very perfectly. I would just like to point out that in the end, the baker still tells the story to his son but mm-hmm. it's in a different approach so so mm-hmm. what what happens is that after everything ends and then another spoiler alert is that the baker wife the baker's wife dies in the in 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 the show but then they 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 come together they kill the giant and the baker feels lost and then the ghost of the baker's wife tells him to like and he was like he doesn't know how to raise a kid by himself and then the baker's wife comes on and said that tell him what you know so he tells the story to teach his son of all of the wrongdoings and all the missteps that he has done. And then the song Children Will Listen comes on and it wraps up the whole evening mm. saying that like what you say and what you teach your kids will influence them for the rest of their lives. So the, you, you, can you see that the, the plot was taken so much differently in the stage show and it gives you more context and more thematic values on it as well. So yeah, that's why I agree with you on like the spectacle part of the story to shock you. And also Rapunzel, in the stage version, the Rapunzel dies. Like she dies in the in the very end. Like she's she's not like a huge part of the plot, but she's she's there. She's not like running off with the with the prince and everything. And uh, last thing that I want to point out is that yes, the act two is supposed to be dark. It is supposed to be very, very dark. Dark to a certain point that some schools opted out to only perform the first act. And that's allowed. And Sondheim actually allowed that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're doing it in a school setting or with a lot of children, you can only perform the first act. In some theater companies, they do a children's performance where they only perform the first act. Because the first act is just like a very good fable fabled kind of story and it ends and it ends perfectly but then mm-hmm. it leaves a glimpse which is another cut song called ever after it leaves a glimpse that the story will go dark and you will see all of these people do nasty things yeah i think i i would like to hear that song ever after i mean again i'm sure i have at some point because i did see this in an actual theater probably 2013 i think but i don't remember it very well but anyway i'd be interested to hear that because like Right now, if you cut the movie off at a, probably about the one hour, 15 minute mark, it's a nice, it's a nice happy ending. And like, if that's where the musical would cut off after one act, that can work for sure. That's a complete story. But having the second act recontextualizes that story and changes it so completely that it seems weird to cut it off after one act. Yeah. And this comes to the note I I said about how they Disneyfy the show. And this is something that I feel in all Disney movies. Like, they don't know how to deal with dark themes. Like, they don't know how to tell those kind of stories, you know? They they have some dark mm. themes, but I feel like they don't know how to explore them. Or even for some stories that they do need to go to that direction, they, like, sort of, like, do it half-heartedly. So that that's why I feel like the movie doesn't work for that regard. Mm. In a way, I guess you you mentioning that just sort of reminds me of this recent Disney trend of trying to redeem all of their villains. Yes. Like the Maleficent movies, Cruella, etc. All of those are attempts at some level to tell a dark story. But again, they're Disney-fied to the point where I don't know if it's Disney actually meddling, meddling with it or if it's Disney like not even greenlighting the movie until they get a story where Maleficent is the hero, but like Maleficent, I mean, this is a huge tangent, but Maleficent 2, Mistress of Darkness or whatever, that's a story that involves gassing an entire ethnicity of people in the movie, which is like really, really dark, except somehow it's like, well, it's also just like a dumb movie about fairies. And like, it doesn't come across effectively because you're right. Disney does not know how to tell those stories. 
it seems, as a studio. Yeah. So that's why I feel like um, you see it in Into the Woods. You see that the way, and coming back to what Pierre was asking how they translated, this is the result of that. Uh, and, and I think that it, we will see a different movie if this movie lands on a different studio. Or even like if, mm-hmm. if it gets made now, instead of like five years ago, we might have seen something a little bit more closer to what Sondheim is trying to do with the show. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the cast, uh, Jeff, in general? I mean, you can touch on Anna Kendrick, but I'm not going to lie, seeing James Corden uh, really threw me off at first. I didn't know he was in this movie. I've never seen him act in a movie, and it honestly made me take it a lot less seriously than I might have if he wasn't in it. Overall, I thought the cast was fine. Uh, it's a big-name cast that exists because they're all big names. They're all very competent. Like, no one in this cast is explicitly bad, but I think that a lot of this movie comes across as, like, kind of soulless, but that's not on the cast. I think the cast is fine. They're just all big names for the sake of being big names. For the most part. I will say there's there's some dialogue. I was very impressed because at first I was like, I don't know why I remember this so well, but Meryl Streep was nominated for an Oscar for this, right? Yes. And that always like stayed with me. And I was watching this movie and I wasn't sure why she was nominated. I mean, it's Meryl Streep, so it kind of makes sense why she was. But I mean, that ending, that climactic scene with with the witch where I don't really know what happens. Does she, she drown or something accidentally? It was a weird scene. Oh, it's Last Midnight, right? That you're referring to? Yeah, well, the, the song before she dies. or I don't, I don't know what happened, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, anyways, it's a very... I was extremely impressed with how, I think, corny the, that scene could have come off as. But honestly, she really pushed herself to get into it, you know? And um, she really owned that scene, despite like how awkward I think it would have been with a great assortment of any other actresses uh, that could have played that role. So a lot of respect there for that. I will say. That, that scene is a very, very important scene in the musical. It, it's very, very important because it's like the last push to these characters because you know how I said about they eliminate the narrator, right? And mm. you know how mm. stories work that they have to be good guys and bad guys. And now the witch is considered to be like the bad guy, the bad character in this story, right? But then when Last Midnight comes and she was like, okay, you have all tell me that I'm a villain. But what all you guys did is a villain act. So I'm going to go now. I'm going to like dis- dissolve myself. And then you just deal with the woods yourself. Like in, in the musical, it, 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 it is there for that reason. For, for the witch to say that, okay, I'm not going to be a villain in your story anymore. And like, I'll, I'll leave this crazy world to you guys. And so long. That, that's the purpose of that scene if for me that's kind of interesting oh, because i think that that's a theme from the musical that doesn't come across in the movie where like at first you have the narrator and then you have the witch and all of these characters are basically being guided by either the narrator who's telling them what's happening or the witch who is a clear villain that they can all just unite against so these characters are, they don't have to really think for themselves and they can absolve themselves of all responsibility because they're doing whatever it is that, you know, good guys do, whether that's follow the narrator and just follow what story there is, or when he's gone, unite against the villain and like whatever they're doing must be right because the witch is the villain. And that's a really interesting theme that is is definitely there in the movie because like the same events happen but it's not it doesn't nearly come across as much yeah and i can can i also point at one point this movie has been developed like in the early 90s and if i can point do you know who was attached to the movie uh you guys were saying that it was an all-star cast like the 90s version is even more star-studded like like the first reading has like people like Dewey louise Dreyfus as the baker's wife and knew Patrick Harris as Jack at one point. The second reading was even more star-studded. We have like Robin Williams as the baker. We have uh, Goldie Hawn as the baker's wife. We have Cher, who, who is a great, who, oh, who, wow. great who, who is great friends with Meryl Streep playing the witch. And Kyle MacLachlan is going to be the Cinderella's prince. Like very, very like, Intense, like Brendan Fraser is also attached, and um, Elijah Wood, <sighs> Danny DeVito, Steve Martin, 
like what could have been. Yeah, and and another version of Columbia Pictures have Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal and Susan Sarandon. Like it was even more star studded. It was if it was made like in the early nineties. I feel like we have to mention uh, Anna Kendrick. Oh, not only point. do we have to mention, we keep alluding to her, and then she's the Never most important it. part of the. She's the most important part of the movie. Of course, playing a version of Cinderella, right? I'm not yeah. wrong there. I was very confused at first because it's like the same story but very different. So I wasn't. Or I don't. Ben, are you a big Anna Kendrick fan? I actually am. I actually watch oh, a lot of oh, Anna. Yes. Anna Kendrick fan. I, I actually watch a lot of Anna Kendrick movies, so yeah. Oh, I'm glad we chose our expert well. Yeah, yeah. any thoughts on Anna Kendrick? I personally thought she was on maybe overshadowed in this movie. I was honest, because she's a musical, I mean, after, I know she likes to sing after watching the Pitch Perfect trilogy, and I thought she would bring a lot to this movie, and I personally wasn't too enamored by her performance, and I think it was tough considering she was surrounded by so many stars. Um, but yeah, well, any thoughts? I said in the last episode that now we're finally talking about Anna Kendrick in main roles, and here she is in a supporting role. And like, <laughs> yes, she's part of the main cast. She's probably of the princesses, the most important princess. I guess there's only two, so of course she's the most important princess. But like, she surprisingly has very little to do. I honestly almost thought that she had barely more to do than Lucy Punch, who plays her sister, which is. So weird, because Lucy Punch is a tiny, tiny, tiny role in this movie, but Anna Kendrick only has, I mean, she sings, she's in a lot more songs, but she only has the one solo, and beyond that, she's basically a supporting character to, I guess, usually the baker's wife. Yeah, and her plotline was very overshadowed by, I think, just the general, because, like, I mean, she's literally overshadowed in the movie by... Emily Blunt uh, mm -hmm. capturing the prince's gaze, right? So I yeah. felt I feel like her role was very subjugated, which is unfortunate. Because, but yeah, I don't know what else she really could have brought. Like this isn't this didn't feel like one of those roles where she wasn't really given anything. I, I didn't feel like she had more to offer, if that makes sense. I just yeah, I don't know. She felt very replaceable, unfortunately. Yeah, well, um, I feel like this is the adaptation's fault because Cinderella is a very important and integral part of the the whole show actually like like she's there to prove a point like you know in cinderella you talk about happily ever after mm -hmm. and 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 like falling in love at the first sight but actually you see that in this show cinderella is very calculated and she she's sort of like okay she just discovers that she may not want this so it talks directly to the theme of the show but i think it's because of the way this movie is edited and the way it's so jumbled, I would agree with you, Pierre, that she's very, very overshadowed. And it, she wasn't treated as a as a central character. She was treated as a supporting character, mm -hmm. uh, as a somewhat like a main character with songs, but not as important as Emily Blunt or Meryl Streep, which is sad because like the song that she she has to do on the steps of the palace is such an interesting song. He's a very smart prince. He's a prince who prepares. Knowing this time I'd run from him. He spread pitch on the stairs. And I'm caught on unawares. Well, it means that... You see, I actually like the way they start the song where it's like time stops. Like the prince is there and then she has this three minute time to actually get her idea across and she has to arrive to the point that she will leave a shoe on the steps and she's gonna run away yeah because that thought is very very in interesting there is a line in the song that i like it's, uh, it says that it's my first big decision the choice isn't easy to make like this is her first big decision it's my first big decision the choice isn't easy to make to arrive at a ball is exciting and all once you're there in Cinderella, in her trajectory, not just in this show, but in the actual story as well, where she left a shoe there. So if they flesh that story out a little bit more, and the consequences in Act Two, where the prince wasn't great, you know, it she she would become like more prominent and she would shine more. 
in here. I was interested in something that you said earlier on that I said we were going to return to, and I actually remember it this time. You had said that Anna Kendrick plays Cinderella quite differently than uh, is often done in the musical. So, like, do you want to elaborate on that? Because that's really interesting to me. So, one of the biggest differences in there is her vocals. Yeah, so Anna Kendrick is not... Let me give you some terminology here. So, there are two ways of singing a Broadway song. There's a style that's called contemporary belting. So, it's literally everything that you hear in Hamilton and everything. They're belting, yeah. like strong, powerful. But there's also another way it's called legit singing. Legit singing is like classical way, which Cinderella is supposed to be a legit singer. Like you you hear a glimpse of that in her songs in like the ah, 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 all of those like legit soprano-like quality. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting in this, especially in the last few moments in on the steps of the palace is that she belts it. Like in the end, on the steps of the palace, she, like she belts it out instead of yeah. singing it in a classical way, which I think in turn gives her a different kind of Cinderella. Like her Cinderella is actually a bit more, a bit stronger, like not nice, cutesy like other Cinderella's, but she's strong. She's kind of fierce in a way. And it shows in a lot of the vocals in a lot of places in the song. And I think it fits... Anna Kendrick's personality well as well because she's not like your typical ingenue girl. Like, you know, there's some edge to her in all of the performances we see. Like, mm-hmm. she's funny and she, is, she has a lot of edge in not, not just in Into the Woods, but in almost every movie. Well, I mean, and, that's basically her entire character in Pitch Perfect. Yeah, and you see that. They, they added that dash into Cinderella and also in her vocals. What's interesting is that Sondheim is very specific in how people sing his songs. So mm. I'm very, very interested and I'm happy to know that actually Sondheim was in the booth during the pre-records giving Anna Kendrick notes and approve of her choices in, this, in the movie. Actually writing her new lyrics on the fly to sing, to accommodate the new story, uh, the, the change storylines and he was there listening to Anna Kendrick sings and approve every single thing that happens in the movie singing wise so so yeah that's what I mean about being a bit different Cinderella than the other shows so just because I don't I'm not super familiar with this terminology are, are the rest of the characters in Into the Woods primarily belters as well um no actually which is what very is what very like interests me. The the only other prominent belter in the show is the witch. It's the huh. way Meryl's yeah, which is perfect for for Meryl's stream uh, for the songs like in Last mm-hmm. Midnight or in oh surprisingly an, another song that has like a stronger belt in this movie adaptation is Stay with Me, the song where the witch sings to Rapunzel for the first time on the on the tower where she goes who out there would love you more than I yeah like yeah. you see a, a lot of emotions and a lot of like belting qualities in that but Emily Blunt follows very closely to how how it's sung originally and everything. Another change that happens a lot is Johnny Depp's character in the like they change the key down way 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 lower than mm. it is and and to suit Johnny Depp's voice and actually let him be Johnny Depp in the song like you see yeah. the way he sings and the way he speaks and everything yeah so that that's why I pointed out Anna Kendrick especially the last lines of On the Steps of the Palace when I heard it the first time I was like that's actually very cool that we see uh, like that the ending was belted like that and I, I, I was wondering, like, whether Sondheim is okay with it and then he is okay with it. I'm like, huh, interesting. That, that is cool terminology. I feel like I learned a lot today, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, actually, like, if, if you like, after this show, I will point you to, like, some other Anna Kendrick singing videos. Like, you know, she, he, she actually sings, in not in movies, but in, in concerts and in a lot of places. And the belting terminology would come in handy in the last five years is because she literally is belting the entire score of the last five years very, uh, very interestingly. Actually, uh, I guess on that note, and we're basically at the end here, the last five years is going to be the next movie that we talk about. And uh, Ben, you want to come back for that one? I would love to if you guys allow me. If you're, if you're not too bored with all my <laughs> of all my stuff. Sounds great to me. But I did have a couple of like final things just to wrap up this episode. I wanted to know 
where you guys, we don't have to do like a full ranking every time, but where would you guys place this in terms of the movie? Well, Pierre, the movies we've watched so far, Ben, Anna Kendrick movies in general, and then again, with the same caveats in terms of Anna Kendrick performances, where would you guys place this roughly? Pierre, why don't you go first? This is like the definition of like, uh, as a movie, I'd say this is very mid. Like I just, I've, it wasn't a hard watch. It was kind of interesting at times, but I was kind of bored. But it was never like offensively bad, if that makes sense. Like mm. I was never like, oh my god, this is terrible. Um, maybe the pace. I think this movie could have honestly been like twenty minutes shorter or something like that. I think the pacing was rough. But yeah, uh, in terms of Anna Kendrick, I think this is definitely lower tier, especially considering, like, I feel like we were promised more Anna Kendrick than we got. Um, this was like a the one performance where I feel like she had a decent amount of screen time, but just wasn't there with the role. Like, I think she got kind of hurt by the role, but then also I don't think she brought much to the role as well. So I'd say lower tier. I can't I can't say where exactly, but yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I would place this a little bit higher than the next one that you're guys, yeah, you guys are talking about, which is the last five years. I'll place it a little bit higher just because that... Even though it was jumbled, it was a little bit better made than the last five years. But it will be a bit lower than the first Pitch Perfect for me. Yeah. In terms of like Anna Kendrick's performance in general, I I still prefer her performances more in her like normal movies when she doesn't sing Mm -hmm. like in Up in the Air or in like even like in Rocket Science. Yeah, Because even though she has more to do here, the way they conceptualizes the character in this version is a little bit like underserved if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah i am i know i mean i saw it a long time ago and i'm sure pierre's already seen it too but like i'm getting excited for when we talk about up in the air because by that time we're gonna have like a full list of all the performances and like i don't think we will have seen every bad anna kendrick performance by the time well not that i shouldn't say that every bad movie featuring Anna Kendrick by the time we get to up in the air, but like we'll have a very solid, well-rounded list by that point of like the good ones and the bad ones. But I guess just to like close out my thoughts on, um, on where this movie places, I put this movie in terms of, in terms of where this whole movie places, I put it just behind camp, which probably sounds bad, but I liked camp quite a bit. And the more I think back on it, the more I think that camp for all that it does wrong or not, not really for all it does wrong, but for as much as that movie stumbles, it does a lot. Right. And this movie just sort of washes past me like an ABC show. Like it's the, it's the Disney fied thing that you said earlier. I think this movie is very competent. Technically it's well-made, I guess, but like, it's just not super memorable. And I think that's really a shame considering what I've learned over the last hour about Into the Woods, the stage show. In terms of Anna Kendrick performances, I thought she was fine in it, but I would put this like lower mid-tier. There's, she's not bad in the role. I have yet to actually find an Anna, performance, uh, an Anna Kendrick performance I've hated, but like I have seen one or two that I would not consider good. This is still fine. But, like, she just doesn't have as much to do. And as you said, Ben, that's mostly because of the way that this movie is, like, written and presented and translated. It's just that she becomes so much more of a supporting character in this than she could be. And I think that's a real shame. But it does result in her just sort of not having much of a presence in this movie. So I would put this lower lower mid-tier for me. I am so happy that you guys know camp and you guys have seen camp because that's a, that's like a guilty pleasure movie for me, especially Anna Kendrick's performance in there because there's a song it come and coincidentally, the song that she sings in the movie camp is a Steven Sondheim song from his breakout show company. If you can remember, mm. she sings a song called ladies, the ladies who lunch. Which yeah. this song has to be sung by a character that is like 60 something years old, like an old lady who has passed through life. <laughs> and I actually like that performance, that performance that she sings, The Ladies Who Lunch, more than she sings On the Steps of the Palace, which is a character that is appropriate for her age and her 
persona, which is so mm-hmm. weird. Like if I need to rewatch something, I will rewatch Camp and see Anna Kendrick trying to play Joanne in that song. If I'm not mistaken, I think Steven Sondheim has a cameo in Camp. Like he, the 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 person was on was in Camp. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's the he's the big cameo in that movie, and all of the campers freak out that Steven Sondheim has come. Yeah, which is like amazing how it all turns into a circle. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there you go. I, I'm glad that you guys know Camp, and <laughs> I'm glad that you guys have watched it. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for being on our show. And where can people find more of your stuff? Is there anything that you'd like to promote? I would love to promote my column, but it's in Thai, so uh, it's it's all in Thai. So I'm writing for this uh, Facebook page called the Show Hopper. Yeah, it, it's a it's a Thai musical page that talks about performing arts, especially like stage shows, plays, and musicals. I do now write about TV series and movies that that involves music and everything too. But it's all in Thai, so this is for your Thai fans. Like, if anybody is Thai and is anybody listens to me here in this podcast and wants to follow my work, just go to uh, the show Hopper, and I might be writing a show right now, still in Thai, but that might have English subtitles. So, if, if that show comes to fruition, I'll surely let you guys know. Please do, and cool. uh, yeah, just send us any links, and we will link those in the show notes. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me here. The pleasure, like, uh, this is my first time doing a podcast, and I'm having such a great time. And sorry if I'm talking so so long and so so much. Don't be sorry. I learned a lot. That's what a podcast is for to talk. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Yes, and if you yeah. have me, I would love to come to talk about uh, the last five years. Not only that, I know the show so well. I did this show. I played Jamie. As my senior project, like I, uh, as my graduation project, so I kind of know the show like firsthand. Well, that is definitely a unique experience we would not get anywhere else. So, <laughs> listeners, look forward to that on the next episode of Kicking It with Kendrick, where we talk yeah. about the last five years. Yes. <laughs>